I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, June 29th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, I saw that the odds makers, they've come together, they've figured out who has the best shot at winning the World Cup. And the one number that I saw that was interesting was that Canada has 250 to 1 odds of winning the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Now, what they say is that that's the same odds as Eminem winning the next U.S. presidential election. What do you think about that? What do you think is more likely to happen? I think Canada is more likely to win the FIFA World Cup, to be quite honest. At least that's somewhat feasible. And they've expressed interest in winning. I'm not sure Eminem has expressed interest in being president. So you're telling me that they've either underweighted Canada's chances of winning or overrated Eminem's chances of becoming president? Yes, one of those two things have happened. <laughs> I think they've overweighted Eminem's chance of becoming president. That's what I think, too. You can never trust the book of the odds makers. I know they're incentivized to be correct, but I've seen time and time again that they've just been dead wrong. So I think in this case, they're really wrong. I'm actually not sure which one they're wrong about. I think you think that they're wrong about Eminem winning the presidential election. But you know what? I bet you Donald Trump at 251 odds to one odds of winning the you know 2016 presidential election in 2014. So anything can happen. So if you had 100 bucks right now, would you put it on Eminem or would you put it on Canadian soccer? I put it on Canadian soccer. Me too. I think that they've got an outsized chance of winning the 2022 FIFA World Cup, Jay. And that's incredible. You know what? First time in my lifetime, they have a chance at all. So, hey, we'll take it. Well, I would bet on Eminem to win a Michigan primary. That I would bet on. Yeah. But I'd rather bet on the Canadian soccer to win in Kentucky. He can't go cut nationwide. He's just, he's that's a Midwest right. guy. He's a very regional following politically. Brett, aside from Eminem's political ambitions or lack thereof, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, the government is doubling down on their supercluster innovation programs. For a second story, Blackstone isn't trying to buy your home, but other investors might. And for a third story, there's a bunch of people who are paying their taxes, James. For our first story, the federal government is doubling down on its supercluster innovation program, slapping on a fresh coat of paint, and publicly reasserting its importance in driving Canadian innovation. Nothing like the smell of a fresh new supercluster. Brett, wait, wait, what is a supercluster? Oh, Jay, you're telling me you don't know what a supercluster is? Come on. It's like, like a cereal. <laughs> it's a cereal of innovation, that's for sure. Now, in 2017, the Fed started funding innovation through these five different superclusters. Now, this term, it's not, as you mentioned, a fiber-heavy cereal, but a collection of companies, academic institutions, and not-for-profits devoted to developing five emerging sectors, digital technology, protein industries, advanced manufacturing, AI-powered supply chains, and ocean industries. That is a jumble of words, buzzwords in particular. It certainly is. Superclusters were supposed to help Canadian companies and innovators speed up R&D and commercialize new technologies. The program suffered a crisis of confidence, let's say, this year when it received a significantly less new funding than it requested, which was $750 million over six years as opposed to the, the $1.5 billion it was requesting. But on Monday, Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne, who I'm now going to refer to as Champagne Poppy, gave a vote of confidence to the initiatives now called Global Innovation Clusters. I don't even know if that's better, Jay, but and encourage leaders to do more to innovate and commercialize intellectual property. Well, Champagne Poppy is always innovating, so let's <laughs> give him that. But despite slow growth due to the pandemic, the government pointed to 23,877 jobs and over 800 IP assets created by the program as evidence of its success. The Toronto Star noted that the program met or exceeded most targets set by the feds and attracted over a billion dollars in matching private investments. And we've got to admit, some pretty cool things have come out of it, ranging from advanced tech for mapping the ocean floor to mushroom harvesting robots. I didn't even know that was a thing. 
<laughs> now that you do. However, however, there's always a however. Critics have been quick to point out that the program has no mechanism in place to stop the longstanding problem of foreign buyers scooping up Canadian-made IP. And this is the main concern of former BlackBerry CEO Jim Bolsilli, who argues that the Supercluster program is fundamentally flawed and measures success by the volume of IP rather than the value of that IP to the Canadian economy, which he says is pretty minimal. And here's why it matters even more, Brett. Every country is looking for ways to boost economic growth through innovation. And there's some evidence from others abroad that supercluster style programs can bear fruit. It's probably too soon to tell whether Canada's attempt has been worth the investment or not, but the government is committed to seeing it through. For our second story, asset management behemoth Blackstone made it clear that it has no interest in investing in single family homes as part of its expansion into Canadian real estate. But the same can't be said for some other big investors. I'm going to breathe a sigh of relief, Jay, knowing that I'm not going to be going up against BlackRock in a bidding war over my starter semi-detached home in Toronto. But where did this Blackstone rumor come from anyways? Well, back in May, Blackstone announced a new Toronto office and plans to diversify its portfolio of Canadian properties, growing the $14 billion in real estate it currently owns in the country. Now, this led to speculation that these properties would include single-family homes that would be turned into rental properties, further contributing to, you might have heard of it, the housing shortage and undoing all the hard work interest rate hikes have been doing to cool down the housing market. Blackstone's head of real estate for the Americas put the concerns to rest, saying that there are just more interesting places to deploy capital in Canada and focused on investing in industrial warehouses, office buildings, and hotels. Jay, if I was a single-family residential home, I'd be offended by that comment. But just because Blackstone's not interested doesn't mean that other institutional investors aren't. The Globe and Mail's Brian Milner pointed out how interest from big investors in single-family homes has been steadily growing in Canada following similar trends in the U.S. and Europe. Yeah, how does the guy from Blackstone know how interesting my home is? Well, in any event, in the past, these investors would have to stick to apartment buildings, but consistent returns and long-term appreciation have drawn strong interest, while new price tracking technology has made it easier for companies to hoard houses. And so, Brett, why does it matter that all these big funds are investing in single-family homes? The single-family rental game has since grown so profitable that developers want to play, too. Imagine a house-seeking family trying to compete with the likes of Core Development Group, a Toronto-based condo builder that unveiled plans last year to spend at least $1 billion acquiring detached homes in various mid-sized cities. And for our third and final story today. If you're upset your buddy still owes you 100 bucks for dinner, imagine how the government of Canada feels about losing out on $23.4 billion in uncollected taxes. That's how much the Canada Revenue Agency says people and businesses are underpaying to the feds every year. I guess my question is this, Brett, why don't they collect it? I would say the same to my friend who owes me 100 bucks for dinner. Fair enough. So it's a bit more complicated than all of that. The gap between the taxes people and businesses pay and what they would normally owe exists for a range of reasons. So some of them are legitimate and some of them are, let's just say, not legitimate, illegitimate. <laughs> let's call them shady to bring it back up to M&M. Sometimes taxpayers go bankrupt and end up not being able to pay. But some of the missing taxes are due to illegal activity like cash payments in the construction sector or global corporations that hide their assets offshore. I think it's, you probably might know it as cash payments in the waste management sector if you've ever watched The Sopranos. Now, to put this in perspective, $23.4 billion amounts to around 9% of total federal revenue. So it's no small chunk of change. It's something they do want to pay attention to. 
Yeah, so you're probably wondering, what's the CRA going to do about this? So federal budgets in recent years have provided the agency with more funding to boost its audit and enforcement powers to crack down on bad apples. But it's so complicated these days. You've got these professionals selling very complex offshore corporate structures that make it near impossible for the CRA to ever capture all of the lost tax revenue from these corporations who are storing it and all these bank accounts all around the world. What the CRA does use to try to hunt down these tax evaders now are these leaks like the Panama Papers that expose their misdeeds. The Liberal Party's 2021 platform pledged to increase the CRA's budget by up to a billion dollars a year in order to close Canada's tax gap and said this would bring in $11.9 billion over four years in additional tax revenue. A pretty good investment right there. Well, but here's why this all matters. Now, to date, the feds have fallen short, well short of that pledge, and they have actually announced that only $916 million has been given to the CRA for audits and enforcement powers over these same four years, which is only worsening that tax gap and allowing these tax evaders to get away with it while the government just has less money to spend on things. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Brett, if you put that billion dollars from the Liberal Party platform that's supposed to go collect taxes and bet on Canada at the World Cup and it pays off, that's a good chunk of change. You might as well just call me Elon Musk at that point. It's pretty good. I'm the richest man in the world. (laughs) All right, Brett, have a good day.